In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. Talking today about something I've heard you say a lot before, Nicole, but I don't think we've ever actually done a full podcast episode on this. And this is your statement, there is no such thing as a simple pelvic floor patient. Yes, there is no such thing as a simple pelvic floor patient. And this actually comes from, gosh, sometimes I hear a little, you know, a little chatter about like, oh, that's just some, just a little bit of incontinence or something like that, which, you know, just can be how we talk sometimes about things that aren't multifactorial, for instance, but we'll talk about why that usually isn't the case here in a second. But I have a little story time for you. So when I was first starting the pelvic floor program at a hospital-based clinic here in Orange County, I used to fight a lot and it was a headbutting fight quite a bit, which I'm sure many of you guys can attest to when your boss is supposed to be supporting you in starting a pelvic health program. And whether that's them being supportive of your idea or whether that's the facility wanting a pelvic floor program and they've chosen you to be the person, if your boss doesn't have pelvic floor knowledge, sometimes you run into roadblocks because they're trying to help you build a program based on the orthopedics or their neuro knowledge or whatever. So I quickly found out that there was a huge lack of knowledge about pelvic floor conditions and pelvic floor patients when I was dealing with my boss. And one of the things that she kept trying to pin me down on was, well, what is a typical plan of care like for a quote unquote simple patient, simple pelvic floor patient, or she used the word simple incontinence patient versus a more complex pelvic pain patient. And backing up for just a second, right? You The problem was that you were seeing these people for a longer period of time. There was a long wait list for your services at that point. So she, kind of rightfully so as the director, who again, didn't really understand that, was kind of arguing with you and pushing back and saying, hey, I know, and, and to her credit at that point, right? I know that for these really complex pelvic pain people, you might need a long time, but can't we designate a batch of these simple patients where we could just say, you know what, we'll pencil them in for six visits and then they are out the door. Correct. And to her credit too, I was also a new grad, right? I was a new pelvic PT. I was one of those people that we call here on the podcast, double new, right? I was new at pelvic floor and I was also a new physical therapist. And so, you know, I don't blame her for doing this. I mean, now I see the huge problem with having somebody that is over you that does not understand nor has a passion for public health, because it's really difficult sometimes to sort of advocate for our patients when the person doesn't really care, quite frankly, or has different odds 
Yeah, it really has has a different, whole different perspective, right? She is looking at the business side of the, the process and saying, well, wait a second, it's not good for our reputation that you have a four, five, six month wait list. Can you get these patients through the door faster? And especially when the, some of the reimbursement these days is based on like, it's a one-time thing for the plan of care. Right, right, right. So yeah, you also have to think about, right, we're in an insurance-based, hospital-based model. And, you know, I'm sure some of their contracts, now I understand this better, but I'm sure some of their contracts were diagnosis-based or whatever. And the shorter the time they were there, the more money that the place got paid. So anyways, all that is to say is that I was always fighting back with like, it's like, it does not compute. It does not compute to me that you would categorize somebody as a quote, simple incontinence patient or simple pelvic floor patient, just based on either their diagnosis or their symptoms, because they're a person. And so somebody that is, doesn't have help at home and, and is a single parent and like has all kinds of other things that are going on in their life, but has quote unquote only incontinence is also sometimes even more challenging than somebody that has, you know, chronic pelvic pain. And so all that is to say is that there is no such thing as a simple pelvic floor patient. And then fast forward now to when we just did the survey and And I actually really appreciate the honesty, but someone was like, Hey, I'm a little bit bored with the patients that I'm seeing. They're not complex enough. I would like to see more complex people. And on one hand, that's First of all, I love the honesty, love the fact that they filled out the survey and are helping us out here. But this sets off Nicole's, I feel like that is a trigger word for you, Nicole, like the simple patient. Yes. Nails on the chalkboard. Well, and, you know, I don't, of course, it was just like an answer to a survey question, but it definitely triggered a huge conversation. And that button in me where that was like, oh my God, like how many years have I been having this conversation? This time, of course, with myself and Jesse, but like, what is going on? Like, what do you mean? Like you're not challenged? Like prolapse that was that I used to think was even I used to think was like pretty simple. Oh, you just have a little prolapse. Like let's figure that out. Like that that doesn't exist, you guys. It does not. Ex- if we're doing our job right, and if we're challenging ourselves, I think to look beyond just symptom presentation and the pelvic floor. Then, then we start to open up into, aha, there isn't just a simple patient. And also if we're opening ourselves up to not just symptom resolution as the only way that we can help people, now all of a sudden we go into, ooh, there's a ton of different things that we can challenge ourselves on to make sure that we understand that that actually everybody is quite complex by nature of having a pelvic floor issue. Cool. So let's run through these different things. Before we do, can you give me the, let me present the devil's advocate form of what we're talking about here, right? Because there are people who are objectively more complex than other people. That's true, right? What do you mean? Well, like the person who's got a 20-year history of pedendal neuralgia is with all of these procedures and everything else is more complex or tell me if I'm incorrect than maybe the postpartum mom who had a great pregnancy, didn't have a whole lot going on and now has incontinence. I guess the answer to that is yes, but you don't know that right away. I think is the point Okay, is that you can't say that until you really get down into it. Because you want more information. And, I, and then I'll make that determination as to who is quote, simple or complex. And it's not even simple. It's whether you do it by like layered or length of time it will take to meet the goals or however you end up thinking about it. But 
Let's hit some of these reasons why there is no such thing as a simple pelvic floor patient. The first thing you said, Nicole, is that the pelvic floor, if you have a problem there, it inherently affects all aspects of daily life. Yeah. Sometimes I'll equate this to if I'm trying to get patients to realize like why this is so hard and and especially if they have either someone in their past or then themselves have had kind of a history of like a disordered eating or eating disorder, like sometimes like those are some of the the most difficult things to overcome because you can't just not use your pelvic floor or in the in the analogy case you can't just like not eat if you have a problem with disordered eating right so because we can't just rest our pelvic floor not use it forget about it for a while like we have to use it all the time, every day. It's always on in some capacity. It's always functioning in some capacity. Even when it's dysfunctional, it's functioning on some level. And so it's really difficult to separate out like daily activities from pelvic floor function. And that inherently makes it really difficult. And once there's a problem there, it makes the patient even that much more aware of it because it's being used in so many different aspects and it has so many different functions. As I believe some brilliant person once said, you can't rice the pelvic floor. Okay. By brilliant, do you mean who? Oh, that was me. I, oh, I forgot that okay. I came up with that. This little smirk gave it away over here. That's right. I, I'm much better at having a poker face on the podcast. Than Although, I am yeah, you can't rice the pelvic floor, right? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Like you can't do that to the pelvic floor. So, I mean, in some ways you right, kind of can compress perineally, whatever, but you certainly can't rest it. And so, yeah, like some of the things don't really apply the same way that they apply to different body parts. That's one of the major things. Right. So it's inherently affects all aspects of daily life and you're using it all the time. You can't stop and just pause and say, hey, just don't pee for the next two weeks while we get this thing sorted the way you could do with an ankle. What about number two, you had written on here that the nervous system and the anatomy and how all intertwined all of that stuff is. Yeah, man. So remember, most of the pelvic floor, not all, not all, by the way, but most muscles of the pelvic floor are innervated by the pedental nerve. Well, the pedental nerve is one of the only nerves that has direct autonomic innervation as well, meaning that autonomic dysregulation, fight, flight, freeze response, parasympathetic response is part of the pelvic floor's daily input. It's one of the reasons, obviously, when most of us know this, why we don't have to sit there and think about volitionally like bladder contracting, pelvic floor relaxing as part of those Bradley loops, right? So it has automatic functioning. Therefore, our autonomic nervous system is involved very intricately with our pelvic floor muscles and our organ function around the pelvic floor. And so because of that, there is nothing simple about dealing with the nervous system. And even if the patient's symptoms are seemingly simple, the fix, when we actually look into how the pelvic floor is functioning, how it's reacting automatically, what the actual issue is, then we have to take the nervous system into account. And then that automatically puts it into the category, in my opinion, of more complex than, oh, just stretch your calf a little bit and your Achilles will feel better type of a situation. Not to shit on ortho at all, but you know there is like an added layer component of that. 
in its actual functioning and also then in the patient's perception of what is going on. Because now all of a sudden, stress and all of the sympathetic nervous system upregulation stuff that we talk about doesn't just apply to pelvic pain. It also applies to the seemingly simple diagnoses of prolapse and incontinence and whatever else we're talking about. I think here's another interesting piece about this that we were talking about as we were thinking about this episode and reasons why you feel like there's no such thing as a simple pelvic floor case. Usually there is a significant length of time that these things have been going on and or multiple issues before they actually get into your office. It's not the ankle sprain when you're like, hey, when did this start? And you're like, uh, Tuesday at four o'clock when I went up for a rebound and somebody put their foot under. I mean, there's even in a person that is seeing you postpartum, it is actually quite rare that we're dealing with an actual acute pelvic floor issue. Most of the time, it is something that is at minimum acute on chronic issue. And a lot of times it's chronic. So with an exacerbation or a some sort of catalyst that made the person be like, I need to get help for this now, because there was some sort of event that happened that just tipped them over the edge. But the reality is, is that a lot of our patients have been dealing with a lot of this stuff for a really long time. So, and again, even like a delivery or a C-section where there's an acute issue, people were pregnant for nine, 10 months before that. And that placed a lot of stress and other issues and changes to the actual and, you know, bony pelvis and stuff like that, that changed part of the demand on the pelvic floor for a long time. So even a postpartum person that had no symptoms of incontinence before was still pregnant and is having a lot of challenges on that pelvic floor that we also need to take into account when we're rehabbing them postpartum. So yes, this is all why it's like, it's not, it's never just something that's very simple. It's never something that just happened. And I tell my patients that all the time, like I have a whole spiel. I have a whole subset of of things that we talk about on the evaluation or very soon after this to help them map out their pelvic health history because this is such an important concept because it sets expectations that, yeah, this is probably not going to be a two, three visit issue. This has been going on for a lot longer than you've realized. You've only now realized it because of whatever the most proximate problem is. And also because going back to the previous thing that it's like part of our bodily functions, our bodies do a really good job of compensating for pelvic floor issues and making sure that that's like the last straw that goes before we start noticing symptoms, right? So again, even in somebody that has something has just happened, I always challenge that assertion. And very rarely do I find that like, okay, this actually only has been going on for a couple of weeks and you've never literally had any other sign of any other pelvic floor dysfunction problem in your entire life. That's rare. Yes. And I want to take a quick time out to just give you guys the definition, according to Dr. Google, of what simple is. Easily understood or done presenting no difficulty or plain, basic, uncomplicated in form, nature, or design. And I feel like This definition right here lends itself exactly to your argument, Nicole. It's like there is nothing uncomplicated in form, nature, or design about the pelvic floor. I've been listening to you talk about it for seven freaking years, 
And I still don't get 90% of what you're saying most of the time. Well, and that's going back to just like anatomically, you guys, like when I've been talking about like this literally is the crux of why I created Essential Public Strengthening Natural Mom's Kegels because like literally I kept being like, oh my God, like the anatomically, the pelvic floor is so unique that it doesn't have like an origin insertion. It doesn't have like a movable part to it. I mean, maybe you could argue that the pubococcygeus does, but even then it like, it doesn't have a, a, a tendinous insertion on the, that's like a biceps muscle. That's why it's not like a biceps. Like it functions more like a trampoline, which I've said before, but again, in form, nature, design, like it's not anatomically like any other muscle in our body. Maybe the diaphragm could be an analogy, but like seriously. And even that diaphragm is hard to treat too. So the diaphragm only has one job. Well, however many jobs it has, whatever. It doesn't have a job. I'm not pooping through my diaphragm, I guess is my point. Am I? I haven't studied anatomy as much as you guys have, but. No, not pooping through the diaphragm. Although it is important to, for pressure management, for pooping. And we digress. Anyways, bottom line is that it's not simple. Well, and here's, I think, the, the underlying thing too. And I don't think we talk about this enough, Nicole, but I do think this is an important part of your overall treatment philosophy with people. And I feel like it informs a lot of what you are talking about. But you are trying to use the fact that they're in your office for a pelvic floor issue to give people a better life. It seems weird to say, maybe we need a better way to say that. But I, I feel like that is, do you agree, disagree that that is a kind of a cornerstone? Like this is an opportunity. Like, I'm not just going to get your pelvic floor better. I'm going to get it way better. And I'm going to get all these other things that you've been dealing with better. And I'm going to help you deal with your stress and your life and all of those different things. It's almost like the, the pelvic floor is like your little entryway to like improve their life. And if that's the case, then nothing can ever be simple. Totally. Because you're trying to leave them a, a literally, I've heard you say it before in a different context, but like you want people to leave a better person. Yeah. Everyone that walks into pelvic sanity, I want to leave literally a better person. And this kind of goes a little bit into if we understand the true intricacies of the autonomic nervous system in pelvic floor function, then we have to address all of the things that affect the autonomic nervous system with that patient. And so then now all of a sudden you're getting into how do you manage stress? And here's a referral for this person because this shit needs some extra help with you dealing with this family member or whatever. Right. And so, right. Because I really believe that I don't believe that any person with the simplest of, of symptoms is a quote, simple patient because that's not where we stop anyways at my clinic or in my mind. That's just not where we stop. We're always looking for more and better and more well-rounded and into the wellness space and all of that. Those foundational things that you always talk and preach about, right, is that person who comes in for pelvic health stuff is going to come out knowing more about nutrition, more about how to sleep, more about exercise, more about all those things that maybe weren't even truly necessary to resolve the incontinence issue, but are going to change their life for the better in every other aspect of their life going forward. You know, you've also probably heard me say, we're, we don't just get symptoms to go away, we get them to stay away. And that leads us to our last point with that at the pelvic floor is the crux of movement from the top down and the bottom up. So literally every single thing that we do with upper body rotation, upper arm movement, 
there's a lot of anatomical things that attach to the pelvis. And so we as pelvic health providers need to also be thinking about what are the influences of demand on the pelvic floor that come from thoracic rotation, spinal rotation that involves the cervical spine, the shoulder range of motion that involves the lat that attaches down through the thoracolumbar fascia to the pelvis. What else from the bottom up? How does the ground reaction force impact the pelvic floor demand? How do all of those things synergistically work? What is happening at the foot? Like all of those things influence how the pelvic floor functions and the demand that's placed on the pelvic floor. And so again, in order to help patients get better, we need to be better at increasing our lens by which we look at the patient. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you get beyond the pelvis, it's automatic. Well, even if you just look at the pelvis, it's complex. But if you really incorporate that, there is no such thing as a simple patient. Well, I hope that that has convinced you. If it hasn't convinced you, I hope it's convinced you not to say your patient is simple in front of Nicole, (laughs) at the very least. But would love to hear you guys' thoughts about this. Um, I think this is an important idea. It's an important kind of philosophy. Uh, I think it has a lot of wide-ranging implications. You know, and I do want to just make sure that 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 comment, if if you're the person who made that comment, I don't want you to think that this is ah, like an attack. I shouldn't have said that. It's like, yeah, you should have. That's okay. And I bet you you're not the only one. And you're just certainly probably not the only one that's getting, that might be getting that feeling of like, ah, shoot, what else can I do? And some of it's based on the patient population. But if you have that in, if anyone else out there is feeling like, oh, I'm kind of bored with these patients, sometimes it does take you to challenge yourself to look at all these different aspects. And it might seem a little bit overwhelming to do it all from this podcast or whatever, but choose one of those things and apply that to every single patient that walks into your your office. And I guarantee you, you'll start to like open up into this world that is so cool and makes you so excited to like treat pelvic floor patients again, that you won't look at them the same. And then that will slowly get you to incorporate a bunch of different ways that you look at each patient And then you'll be on my train when you're like, whoa, I was missing so much stuff before. But sometimes it has to come from within us to challenge ourselves to look at places that seem a little potentially unorthodox at times. Awesome. So if this challenges you, if this inspires you, please reach out. Let us know. As always, we love hearing your feedback. Would love if you guys are enjoying these episodes. If you wanted to go and throw a five star review into Apple Podcasts, that does help us get found. But just really appreciate you guys being on, being listening with us, thinking through some of these difficult things in the field. As always, we want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.